I'm gonna talk about vision offering because this is our final week of vision offering, but I'm not gonna do it to the end of the message today. So just hold fire on that. But I know that you like me to just tell it to you straight. And uh, so all the people that are a part of our church, you can hear it straight. The people uh, that you're just tuning in for the first time or you're new to this thing, hopefully you can hear the heart behind it. But vision offering has not been going well so far. In the past, we've had six, 700 people give towards vision offering. It's been amazing. The, the most important to, thing to me about vision offering is that it's about the coming together of the church, giving sacrificially for what could happen in the future. And so far, less than 10% of what would normally give in vision offering would give. So I'm praying that something would stir in us today, that we would play our part and not grow cold in the act of giving to see what God wants to do in the future in people's lives release. So I want you to just hold that in your heart and we'll get to it at the end of today. But I'm fired up for today's message. All week I've just been feeling like stirred. I've been feeling, uh, you know, just passionate about what I'm going to bring today. So I hope you are ready for the message. I hope I'm able to bring it properly. In fact, I'm even going to pray right now as we prepare our hearts for what God's going to do in our lives during this message. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person who's gathered in all the different ways today. Thank you for the people watching in from home. Thank you for the people gathered together in homes. Thank you for the people close and the people far away. But as we come around your word, God, would you do something in our hearts? God, would your word create in us? Would your word tear down in us? Would your word come like a sword and split what is of you and what isn't of you in our hearts? Would your word lead us to repentance? Would it lead us to life? Would your word um, become like a wellspring in us? Us today as you lead us on the way of life that you have for us. God, we just say during the preaching of your word, have your way. And God, I pray as I bring the word, would you have your way in me? Would you give me the ability to preach today's message well, to communicate it well? And would we know more of your heart at the end of it? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. That's fantastic. Well, I'm fired up. I hope you're ready to go. Let's start by, by talking about this. Some, sometimes you don't really understand people or you don't really get people until you hear their story, right? Like sometimes maybe you got a coworker, they do a few different things that might irritate you or you just don't really get where they're coming from. But as you take time to hear their story, to learn their story, you see why they might act the certain way that they do or live the certain way or have the hurts or the protections that they have. When you learn somebody's story, you begin to understand who they are more. And as we dive into the part of scripture that we're going to dive into today in Luke 15, this is exactly what's going on, is that people are watching the way Jesus is living. They're watching the way he's acting. They're seeing some of the things he's doing and who he's hanging out with. And the religious people of the day, they don't get it. It's ticking them off. They don't understand it. They understand God's holiness, but they don't understand God's mercy and his grace and his love. And so they're, they're sort of complaining and murmuring around Jesus. So Jesus tells them some stories so that they might understand more of his heart and where he's coming from today. So I'm praying today as we hear some of the story of Jesus, we might understand who this God is that we worship even more so today. 
Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bible there at home, fantastic. Otherwise, it's coming up on the screen right now. Luke 15 says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. Really, the people that you don't expect to find in church were all hanging out with Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, were grumbling and saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Why does he hang out with all of these non-religious people? So he, being Jesus, told them this parable. He told them this story. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home carrying this sheep, he calls together all his friends and his family and his neighbors. And he says to them, rejoice with me. Let's party for I've found my sheep that was lost. And just like this, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Aren't we glad? This is an amazing story. Aren't we glad that heaven rejoices? If you're a person that's ever come home, you've been like that sheep that's been carried on the back of Jesus back home, and all of heaven's had a party for you. I know heaven's had a party for me when I came to Jesus. Heaven's had a party for you. If you've been like that and you're grateful for that, put that in the chat right now. But Jesus Jesus goes on. He's like, what man wouldn't do that? And he says, and what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, imagine like $1,000 notes. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, turn on the light, sweep the house and seek diligently. She's looking under the cushions and the pillows and all of that until she finds it. And when she found it, just like the man who found the sheep, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me. For I have found the coin, I've found the hundred bucks that I had lost. And just so, just like that, just how you can imagine what happens in the natural happens in the heavens. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What does it mean that there's joy before the angels of God? The angels of God are beholding they're beholding God the Father. So there's joy before the angels, which means God is jumping around and he's having a party when lost things get found. And uh, Jesus, as if this isn't getting the, the story home enough, he goes on and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. He's like, give me my inheritance. You're dead to me. I want what you've got to give, but I don't want anything to do with you. And we've all been like that with God at some point in our lives. Maybe some of you are still there today, and I'm praying that God will grab a hold of you today. And he says he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered up all he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. He went to Thailand, and he had a party. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. How the mighty fall when they live self-reliant. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Man, he must have been down and out if you were looking at pig food thinking, man, that looks good. That's how desperate you are. 
So when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have some have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise. I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But why he was still a long way off. I love this. His father saw him. as like his father was waiting at the gate for him. And he felt compassion. He had mercy and grace. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son of, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He's given his whole spiel and I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants in the middle of this spiel, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Bring him the ring and put it on his hand and the shoes to put him on his feet. Like restore him to his sonly position and bring the fattened calf and kill it. We're going to have a party. Let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead but he is alive again he was lost but now he is found and they began to celebrate they were having a party but now and this is the turn in the story now the oldest son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he's thinking why didn't I get an invite and he called to one of the servants and he asked what these things meant and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, this brother, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He sort of was begging with him. He was talking with him and he answered his father. He said, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him, what right do you have to party with him? And he said to him, son, you've always been with me and all that, I, that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. And there the story ends. The story ends, it hangs in the balance. What will the older son do? Will he come in and join with what the father is doing? Or will he stay out and, and stay on the outer of the celebration and the heart of God in this story? I love that in this story, who God is, is revealed to us. If you didn't understand God, if you didn't understand why he did what he did, why he said what he said, this story reveals it to us. This is who he is. He is the God on a mission. He's the missio Dei, as the Romans said in Latin, the mission of God. He's the God on a mission. He's the one who leaves the 99 for the one. He's the one who flips the house upside down to find the coin that was lost. He's the one who waits at the gate for the prodigals to come home. He's the one who leaves the older that leaves the party to call the older brother in. He's the one who painted the picture of his kingdom like a great feast to whom everyone is invited. He's the one whose invitation to children is, let them come to me. He's the one whose great commission was to go and his great invitation is to come. 
He doesn't desire any would perish, but all would be saved. His grace is offered recklessly and his mercy is unending. He invited the thief with his last breath when he was hanging on that cross. One of his last breaths, he he cried over to the thief and said, come share paradise with me. He's preparing a place for you and he's preparing a place for me even right now as we speak in heaven. Heaven doesn't have a cap. It's never full. It's never, you're never going to be on the outer of the list if you want in on it. The one who, he's the one who celebrates when people are found. There's rejoicing in the presence of heaven when God is partying, when lost people get found. This is who God is. Isn't it amazing? If we could just take a moment to praise him, to thank him, to worship him, because this is who our God is. He is the one who is on a mission and we have been a part of our mission and the rest of the world is still a part of his mission. He's the one who loves recklessly. The reckless love of God. I don't know if you know that song. We are singing it a while back, a few years ago. The, the, the reckless love of God. I can't remember the lyrics. I'm not going to sing to you. That would be like to, to curse you, not to bless you. But you know, the reckless love of God. People got all upset about that song. There was all different arguments. God's love's not reckless. It's all sorts of other things, but not reckless. People were talking about this stuff. But I want to tell you in the story, we quite often call it the story of the prodigal son, but it really is the story of the prodigal God. You know, the the very meaning of prodigal means spending money or using resources freely and recklessly. It's like to be wastefully extravagant. And by that definition, isn't God the prodigal? Isn't he the one that spends his resources recklessly and sometimes even wastefully to redeem our lives, to search after us, to pursue us, to party when we come home? He is the reckless, loving God. He's the one who loves us recklessly and God is in pursuit of us. He's in pursuit of you, he's in pursuit of me, and he's in pursuit of this whole world. And we better not forget that this is his mission. This is who he is. This is how he operates. This is what he is about. And here's my question for us today. Are we about the mission of God? Are we about the mission of God? Are you about the mission of God? Do we reflect him in this way? Is this part of his nature that he's on a mission? Is it becoming a part of our nature as we're becoming more like Christ? Do we partner with him in his mission? Or are there other things, many other things, that have become way more important to us that aren't his mission that are crowding it out? Look, I didn't, you know, we've been pastoring for 10 years. We celebrated last week pastoring for 10 years. It's a great privilege of our lives. We wouldn't be here without the amazing support of our church. And it's, it's honestly amazing what God has done in 10 years. But I didn't know that being a church on mission would be both so stretching 
but also so controversial over the years. I always thought, just as an innocent 25-year-old starting out as pastoring, that of course God's on a mission, so the church should be on a mission, and I didn't know that would be one of the things I'd have to fight for most in pastoring our church over the years. I just thought it was assumed that we're all supposed to be on mission, that the whole reason we're here is to be a part of the mission of God, that God has saved us, and then He saved us for a purpose, and that's to partner with Him in what He's doing in this world. It's a big challenge in a culture of consumerism and a Christianity of consumerism, where we want the church to be centered around us. We want it to serve us, to take care of us, to inspire us, to feed us, to help our kids, to have the service at the right time, to be at the exact size that we feel comfortable with the crowd, for the music to be at the right like volume. We want it to all be about us, and the mission of God confronts that. We're tempted to see church and treat church like a mall or a cruise ship or, or rather than a rebel movement or a Coast Guard vessel. I think sometimes we see church as like a nice retirement village to visit rather than a field hospital out there for the wounded and the sick. See, the cruise ship and the mall is all about me, but the Coast Guard is all about the people that need to be rescued. How do you see it? What do you think about when you think about church? Look, the decision to be committed to mission as a church has been the decision to be keep being stretched as a church. It's been a decision that's meant we've had to keep growing, we've had to keep innovating, we've had to keep risking, and sadly, not everybody along the way has liked that. Some have misunderstood our intentions, thinking that we're trying to build some great empire. But man, if you if that's what you think, I just don't know if I can ever win with you, and I'm sure it's not what you think, but like we just want to serve the Lord. We just want to reach as many people as possible. And look, we're happy to build whatever and do whatever if that's its end goal. That is our pure motive. We're happy to give it away. We're happy to do whatever as long as we can reach as many people as possible in our time on earth. We've, some have not wanted to grow up in their faith. I think this is a big issue for many of us. We've not wanted to grow up. You've been following Jesus for years and years and years, but you don't want to join the mission. You still want it to all be centered on you. You want it to be comfortable. You want it to be easy. You want to be fed. Feed me, feed me, feed me. All of the stuff. How many years before you're ready to be sent out and be on the mission of God finally? Look, some have chosen to say in their self-centeredness, and it's still like you're still a part of the church, but you don't contribute in any way, shape, or form. Your heart's not in it. Your prayers aren't in it. You're not really being discipled in it. You're not giving. You're not serving. You're just hanging around it. And I wonder what needs to change before God gets a heart, part of your heart and is like, let's get on the mission together. You're ready. You're ready. If only we would fall to our knees today and repent from our self-centeredness. Maybe God could use us to do something significant in the lives of other people in this world. And I really think there's a time that's coming and it's been happening for a while, but it's, it's actually accelerating with this idea of nominal Christianity. Christianity by identification rather than by discipleship. It's dying and so it should. That Christianity is not supposed to be this consumer thing, this entertainment thing, this all about me 
thing. It's supposed to be a place where real disciples are formed to be like Jesus and do what Jesus is wanting to do in this world. And I, I want to ask today, would the real disciples please stand up? This is like, like, it's like a Slim Shady, you know? Would the real disciples please stand up? Because when we see ourselves as the center all of the time, we will always undermine the mission of God. When we see ourselves as the center, we will always undermine the mission of God. One of the great tensions I've experienced as a pastor is the challenge to help people who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, to see and to live for the mission of God. Too often we want church to work for us instead of for those that God is wanting to reach. And I understand that there's tensions in these things. That of course church should be a place where we're encouraged and supported and connected and that's stirring us on. But there's got to be a place where we get to where all of a sudden we become contributors, not just takers from it. Where we become people who are like, like, like the apostles, they were with Jesus for three years as they got discipled. But then Jesus left and sent them out to go do it and it was up to them now to be the people feeding others and helping others and taking the mission forward. And many of us... That anniversary of when we were supposed to send happened years ago. Some of you, it happened decades ago, but we're still staying in our infancy and God's calling us to the maturity of his mission. The church doesn't just exist. It does exist for the people who are a part of it, but it doesn't just exist for the people who are a part of it. It exists also for those who are not yet a part of it. And we need to become people who are growing in the mission of God. Look, I, I just, I tell people all the time, if you want to feel comfortable, this isn't the church for you. Like, I mean, if you're hurting, if you're going through a tough time, don't misunderstand. We're there for you. We're there to help. We love caring for people, walking with people, going, you know, with, with, with whatever people are going through, being there for people and helping in any way we can. We love it. But man, if you're just looking for a church to feel comfortable, comfortable and have your ears tickled every week and just a pastor to tell you everything's okay when it clearly isn't okay, this isn't the church for you. I love speaking truth into people's lives. And here's the truth. God's on a mission. And as a Christian, you're supposed to be on his mission. And are you on that mission with him? Are you on that mission with him? God's wanting to awaken this generation. He's wanting to awaken our church at this time. From young to old, from the kids to the youth, to the young adults, to the young families battling with their little kids, to the people, the kids are growing up. You've got more freedom to the empty nesters, the older people, the older generation. God's wanting to awaken us all to be a part of the mission of God in these times. We're always making room for one more as a church. We've been saying it for years. We make room for one more because God is the type of God that makes room for one more. Listen to Isaiah 54.1. This is a prophetic word being prayed over our church many times, declared over our church. I want to declare it again because it rings so true. Isaiah 54 verse 1 in the message version. Sing barren woman who's never had a baby. That's how we felt many years ago. Fill the earth air with song, you who have never experienced childbirth. You're ending up with far more children than all those childbearing women. God says so. Clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Spread out and think 
big. Use plenty of rope. Drive the tent pegs deep. You're gonna need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're gonna take over whole nations. You're gonna resettle abandoned cities. Don't be afraid. You're not gonna be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not gonna come up short. Man, can you feel the, the spirit of God over that? Can you feel what he's stirring? I believe it's a prophetic word that we need to recenter around again as a church. Every time we have created space for God, God has filled that space. Every building, every gathering, every group, God has filled it up. So let's keep making room for more because God wants to fill more. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there's this beautiful story about Elijah and a widow. And it's in a time of famine. And this widow was like, you know, she's, she's down to her last little bit of oil. That's all she's got left in the pantry. She's got no money. She's really going to have her last meal and roll over and die, her and her son. But the prophet comes to her and says, hey, God's going to do something amazing. What you need to do is go collect as many jars as you can from your neighbors. I want you to get in your room on your own, close the door behind you, and I want you to start pouring the oil with your son. Just start pouring the oil. And as she started pouring the oil, it multiplied. She filled up the first jar. Then she poured the oil again. She filled up the second, and she kept pouring until she ran out of jars. And I don't know if that point she was like just so stoked with the miracle or if she's wishing she collected more jars. I don't know which one it is, but I don't want to be a pastor who gets to the end of my life and been led this church and thought, gosh, I wish we got a few more jars. If God filled up every jar we ever put out there, why don't we go ask for some more from our neighbors? Come on, we don't want to come up short because we didn't believe that God could fill 10 jars or 20 jars or 30 jars or 100 jars or 1,000 jars. We want to just get as many jars as God is willing to fill and believe for him to do something something amazing in his mission among us. Isn't that the case? Isn't that what it stirs me? I hope it stirs you. I hope we can get unified today as a church that we are here for the mission. Look, curate means to be for the soul. We're about caring for you. We're about caring for your inner world. We're about helping you flourish from the inside out. But man, we're here for the soul of our city the soul of our streets, the soul of our communities, the soul of our nation, and the soul of this world. And we can, cannot forget that. We want to just see, we want to see every building filled and every space filled with people worshiping God, being discipled and being sent out on the mission of God. I mean, 10 years ago, I think I've been the pastor for three or four weeks. I was preaching about the love of God. I remember it. And it, like, it didn't seem like anything had happened. But the next week, a man came up to me, a young man, and he said, I want to let you know that after your message last week, I went home and I gave my life to Christ. I got on my knees beside my bed and I, I received him as my Lord and Savior. He got discipled in our church for a while. Then he went to Auckland to go to uni. And then, ten, you know, he messaged me just a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, it's almost been 10 years, but I'm a pastor now. I'm continuing to study theology. I'm reaching other people and discipling other people. And I just like, this is the fruit of when you're a church where anyone can come, where everyone feels comfortable. When we're preaching the message, and I often say this, we're preaching the message of Jesus. 
in a way people can understand, from people they can trust and with a power that's transformational, man, God gets a hold of people and the fruit keeps bearing more fruit in the lives to come. Uh, this is what's happening in our church, that there's some chains five or six deep where someone met Jesus, they helped someone else meet Jesus, that person helped someone else meet Jesus, and six people later, we can see this lineage, even over just a few years, of people meeting Jesus. And that's what happens, because love multiplies when we give it away. It doesn't divide, we don't get less of it. When we stretch out, when we think bigger, God does more in our hearts. You know, when we went from having one kid to two kids, our love didn't divide divide between them, it got multiplied between them. When we had three kids, it didn't divide three ways, it got multiplied three ways. When we had four kids, we had more love to give out, not less. And when we are a church that is about the mission of God, we understand we don't get less when we have more people. It doesn't get divvied up. We get more. It's the multiplication of love. That's why there's no law against love, because it just goes endless for good as it gets multiplied. But I guess this whole Passion for the mission of God comes from my own story. The reality is I didn't grow up in church like many of you. I didn't grow up with the privilege of being able to question my faith and waffle around trying to think about it. I didn't grow up in a home that knew any of those things. I grew up in a home um, that was interesting. <laughs> my parents loved me, but they didn't have the framework of the love of God. And I made many decisions I regret as a teenager because I wasn't guided to make any other type of decisions. And I think when I look back, I'm like, I know maybe some people did try to tell me, but I'm like, why did nobody tell me? Why did nobody invite me? Why did nobody tell me how good God was? It could have saved me a lot of heartache in my life. And I think sometimes we just take the fact that we know God, and we have this eternal hope for granted. And we, we, we assume that other people don't want to hear it or don't want to know about it. But the scripture tells us it's not our job to, to make their response for them, but it is our job to be like watchmen and watchwomen who declare the message and leave the decision up to them. And I think it's because I grew up in a, in a home that was, didn't know Jesus. I'm passionate about other people getting to know Jesus. And I'm passionate about our church reaching as many people as possible. There is a grace on our church for God's mission. Honestly, we see so many adults come to Jesus. It's like, it's crazy. I think if you're a part of our church, it's easy to take it for granted, but it's not normal seeing hundreds and hundreds of people baptized over the last few years. It's just not normal. It just doesn't happen everywhere, but we're on the mission of God. You know, when I've studied revivals over the years, and you know, we're almost at the end, but when, we study, when I've studied revivals over the years, there's three things that are always common to when God is doing a great work of revival in a nation or in a city. And it's that there's people that have a passion for three things. They have a passion for the word of God. They have a passion for the Holy Spirit. And they have a passion for the mission of God. And when those three things come together, God can do anything. We can't just be about the word. We do need to be about the word. We can't just be about the spirit. We do need to be about the spirit. And we can't just be about the mission, but we do need to be about the mission. We need these three things. So back to our story in Luke 15. There's a few things. I don't know if you noticed in the story, but Jesus said in the same way that a shepherd would go find a sheep and a woman would go find a coin, there would be rejoicing in heaven. What he's saying is that the same attitude we often have to our lost stuff 
is the attitude God has to lost people. The next thing in the story is that the older son should have been the one out there looking all along, but he was too self-satisfied with his own righteousness to even notice his father waiting at the gate every day. And we don't want to be like that. And really, the story is not so much about the younger brother, but it's all about the older brother. Many of us could identify perhaps with the younger brother, but perhaps we need to receive the challenge from the older brother. The younger brother found salvation, but the older brother didn't join the search and now didn't want to join the party. The, he wanted everything to be about him. He was only concerned with what was going on for him. And, and if we're looking at the parallels in the story, the shepherd goes looking for the sheep. The woman goes looking for the coin. And the father never goes looking for the younger son, but he does go looking for the older son. He leaves the party to go and reason with him. And he invites him to be a part of what the father is doing. And we're left hanging in the balance in the story. We don't know whether the, son, the older son receives the challenge and goes back in or whether he walks away. And I think that's exactly where we need to be left today. What will we do? As many, as most of the people listening to me, you already know Jesus. We are the older sons. Are we a part of the search party? Are we a part of the party? Or are we staying on the outside, focused about what we do and don't have from the Father? It's left hanging in the balance, and so it should. And that is the choice in front of us today. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would be coming through this camera right now, coming through your phone, coming through the TV screen, and would be coming and convicting our hearts right where we are right now. I can't do it. I can't convince you. I'm not trying to. I'm just praying that I'm, I'm preaching under the power of the Holy Spirit and that some fire is starting to stir in you. Some conviction is starting to melt your heart like it's melting mine. I'm praying something is stirring. I'm praying something's breaking. I'm praying that we're actually going to get unified as a church, that we are a people on mission. God, would you even come right now into every home, into every person just listening and watching right now? And would you break us? And would you, would you, Make of us what you want to make of us, that we would be a part of your mission, that we would be a part of what you were doing in this world. Don't let us miss it in our selfishness. How do we practice this? Well, some ideas. Pray for the people in your lives that don't know Jesus. Pray for them. Where you pray, God moves and God moves your heart. Invite people to be a part of your in-home gatherings Invite people to church gatherings as we can gather again in the future. Third thing, we could practice hospitality. Spend time with the people that don't know Jesus in your life. Spend time eating and, and, and you know, just spend time with them. Practice hospitality. The next thing is you could serve. You could become someone that's serving your church and a part of the mission that your church is on and contributing to it. And you could give to your church. And, you know, at risk of it all feeling like a ploy to get you to give more, it really isn't. I just I prepared this message before I even knew how the giving was going this week. But just we've got to be about the mission of God. We've got to be a church that's about making room for one more. But I want to say, as you get ready to give, and I just I want to stir every heart to give today towards our vision offering. I want to stir hundreds and hundreds of you to give today to give through push pay, to give through a bank transfer. And let's believe that we can bring a mighty offering to the Lord. Why? Why? Why are we giving? Not for buildings, not for community centers, 
not for new churches. We're giving because we want to be a part of the mission of God. We want to put some jars out there that God could fill. We want to see buildings filled. We want to see lives transformed with people meeting Jesus. We're making room for one more through our giving today. Our Mount building has been filled since about the first year we moved into it. We're believing for a great new facility, but man, we need to give big in faith for that to ever be possible. It's going to cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's all about reaching people. We've got to give in faith and believe, yeah, God, do something even greater than what you've already done. We gotta keep, we're believing for our community center to reach many people. We're believing for Curate Auckland to continue to grow and flourish. We're believing for Fakatani to grow and flourish. So let's give generously. My challenge, my, my pastoral sort of implore to you today is would you give as a part of this church? If Curate is part of your family, give in some way, shape, or form to the mission that we are on through Vision Offering. Everything can be found online. No doubt there's links coming up on the screen about here right now. But it, it's like, it, it, let's, let's do this, guys. Let's see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I said before that in the past, you know, normally more than 650 people give to this. And so far, only 62 of us have. And, you know, really, that's just not good enough. That's just not who we are. Let's not grow cold of these things in this season. But because God's wanting us to be a people making room for one more, let's give generously, believing for the miracles to be multiplied and change lives. Would you, would you believe for what we're doing? All of the information of what we're giving to is found through those links. And uh, I just, I want to stir us as we give together. Make sure you give this week. Make sure you give today. Make sure you figure out what God's asking you to do. Give with the spirit of faith because something great is really going to happen among us.